When Jesus rode into town, things were never the same. This morning, I want to spend just a few minutes on talking about what happens when Jesus comes to town. I've learned a long time ago that there's a difference in being spiritual and being emotional. I've seen some of what has been described as great revival meetings where they have the biggest name evangelists and the greatest of singers and everybody hooped it up. It was great. But within a month, everything was back to normal. The false fronts were taken down and it was back to the same old, same old. Lives were not changed. People were not being saved. The baptismal waters were not being stirred. Church, when Jesus comes to town, Things are never the same. Things are never the same. Just as these precious children. I was seven years old when Jesus came to town. And I saw him for who he was. Now, I had been told about him. I had been taught about him. All you Sunday school teachers say, I'm too old. It's time for somebody younger. Listen, I, I think every Sunday school teacher I had was over 70 years old. At least it seemed like it when you're that age. Many of them have gone on to be with the Lord, but most of them were still teaching when they passed away. There's no, listen, retirement's when we get there. Church, we are in such a desperate need for a real life, Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled arrival of the Son of God in our towns, our churches, our families, and our lives. And when Jesus comes to town, things will never be the same. Think about it. We're 2,000 years removed, and we're still talking about Palm Sunday. Well, let's just read what happened in Matthew 21. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say anything unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Now, Jesus hadn't sent this man a text. He had not sent him an email. It was the power of the Spirit moving ahead of the Lord. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughter of Zion, behold, the king comes unto you, meek and sitting upon a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. First of all, what happens when Jesus comes to town? It's going to cost you something. It cost us a half a day of school. For some, it cost other things to go downtown and downtown. That's just... Powder Springs. Uh, it, it cost us something. It cost day off of work. It cost this. It cost that. You know, I, I hear about when President Bush came to the elementary school. About that same time, when I was pastoring in Alabama, I heard the same stories. He came to the opening of a post office down there, and that's what they're still talking about. And here we're still talking about when President Bush, 41, I believe, came and opened. Uh, to the opening of the elementary school. That's more years than you'd probably want to remember. We still talk about that. But do we talk about when Jesus came to town? Do we talk about that day that the Lord so overwhelmingly impacted our lives that he changed eternity? You see, here's the deal. Here's what separates. And I read a friend of mine wrote this. I read it and it was so overwhelming to me because he said, for some, this world is the closest 
many people will ever get to heaven. But for us who are saved, this is the closest we'll ever get to hell. Now think about that. But there are some sitting here today, I, I pray, will know before they leave here. Statistically, I am not the Holy Spirit. I'm not judging you. Don't leave here and say, the preacher was judging me. No, I'm basing it on what Jesus said, that there's many more that's going the broad way than those who are going the narrow way. So listen, because you're a good man, number one, that's a lie that you convinced yourself. You're not a good man. You're not a good, listen, you may do things well, you may do good things for your wife and for your children, but know this, there are none good, no, not one. You say, yeah, I understand that, but no, there is no buts. Because the minute we start convincing ourselves that there's good in us, apart from Jesus, we convince ourselves we don't need him. We say, oh, I can go to church, I can go to a men's thing, I can go to a women's thing, I can do things in the community, I can, I, I can be recognized as being a good person, I give to this, I give to that. I've got news for you. That same crowd is part of this crowd who will one day cried Hosanna and five days later cried crucified. We go with the flow. We go with the the populace, we follow culture, we follow what the world is telling us we're supposed to conform to. But my friends, the only thing the world tell, tells us is wrong. God's word says, don't be conformed, be transformed. Be transformed. And so we see when Jesus comes to town, it will cost us something. First of all, it's going to cost us our personal plans. You know why a lot of people are not here on Palm Sunday? To worship the risen Savior in all glory and majesty is because it interfered with personal plans. Now, whenever the youth plan something, we have to look at 17 ball schedules and we still can't plan around everything. It used to be the school planned around church. Amen. I know. This is convicting to me too. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. Because things interfere in my life and I'm, I'm balancing. That's one of the hardest things as a parent. When is it right? When is it wrong? When is it putting God second? But sometimes it's not about that. It's simply about saying, God, I set aside my plans for your plan. He said, I know the plans I have for you. You say, I know the plans I want to do, but you don't know what's going to happen, do you? Do you? Six years ago, I had no idea I'd be a pastor at Eastside in Claxton, Georgia. Really? 35 years, I would have never dreamed I'd have pastored anything. Church, notice in verse, verses 2 and 3. He said, go and you'll find the donkey tied and the colt wither and loose them and bring them unto me and the man. If he says anything, you just tell him the Lord has need of him. And so they went. Have you ever had to be the emissary? Have you ever had to be the ambassador? Have you ever had to... Go do something a parent told you or a teacher told you or someone else told you that you were really uncomfortable with. Not that it was wrong, but it just made you uncomfortable. I've got news for you. If you've never been out of, outside your comfort zone, then you've never did anything for the Lord. You know what I, I hear all the time? I'm not comfortable talking in front of people. Dude, Moses tried that 5,000 years ago and it didn't work with God. Why do you think it's going to work now? I mean, really. I, I'll just repeat what God told him. Moses, who made your tongue? Some of the most shy, introverted people I've ever met were some of the greatest expositors of God's word. Dr. John Phillips, my hero of, uh, of 
scholastic Bible study who wrote the Exploring Series, who headed up Moody Bible Institute's external classes for, for decades, who is with the Lord today. That unbelievable mind. I asked him one time, Kevin, I, was, I had him in a Bible conference, his last Bible conference he ever did. He did it for me in South Alabama. And we were riding all week. I would pick him up and take him to the church and take him to eat. And, and he was becoming frail and and uh, dementia had started to set in a little bit. And so I would question him about things. And I'd ask him about this. And I'd ask him about that. And I don't even remember the big books, the fa- famous Christian books at the time. But I would ask him things, you know, uh, what, what do you think about shape? You know, I tried to be real intellectual. And, and so I, I, I was like, Dr. Phillips, uh, what, what is your take on, uh, uh, on C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity or what do you think about Francis, Francis Schaeffer's Christian Manifesto and how it relates to the world today? And he would say, my dear brother, I, I have not read that book. And I was astounded. I said, well, what about, what about Wearsby's? I know you and Wearsby are big buddies. And what about this? And I have not read Wearsby's books. And finally, about the third or fourth time, I said, well, Dr. Phillips, what do you think about this? And being put off and clear enough in his mind, he looked over at this 40-something-year-old pastor, but seeing him as a young green whippersnapper, he looked over at me and he said, my dear brother, I do not read books. I write them. (laughs) Okay. Sometimes in our lives, we get so busy wanting to look at what everybody else is doing We miss what God is wanting us to do because outside of that pulpit, he could stand and open the book of Genesis and it would absolutely jump off the pages at you. When he would begin to talk about Joseph, when he would say, Genesis opens with creation and ends with a coffin. He said, it's very astounding that God named the book Genesis and I understand for it was the very beginning of life. He was from Wales, by the way. He said, but the book is more about death than life. For man messed it up. And Adam died. And Eve died. And Abel died. And Abraham died. And Sarah died. And Isaac died. And Jacob died. And Joseph died. But when you got him out of the pulpit... He couldn't find his way to the restroom. He could not hold a conversation individually. But God had a calling on that man's life that has impacted millions of people. Billy Graham was a Tar Heel, stump jumping country boy that God changed his life. Listen. When Jesus comes to town, all bets are off when it comes to personal plans. This man, no doubt, had a plan for that donkey and for that colt. That colt was new. He was fresh. He was planning on breeding and growing his stock with this. But Jesus said, go tell him the Lord needs it. He said, oh, but I've saved up this money for this. But God says, spend an enormous amount. On that cake tonight. Because it's not about cake. It's about Jesus and students. Listen to me. You saw what's parked out front? That's not to show off. That's to show you what happens when God's people who are faithful and gives we pay things off. We're able to grow the kingdom and use it for the honor and glory of the Lord. We're going to take senior citizens all kinds of places to fellowship and to grow together. We're going to take youth to camps and retreats where they're going to hear the gospel and people's going to pour into their lives. We're going to take young married classes on retreats and weekends where they can strengthen their marriage and grow to be what God wants them to be when Jesus comes to town. Our personal plans must be set aside. But can I tell you something? I've lived a few years. 
And the one thing I have figured out is his plans always are better than mine. It may not look like it. It may seem like the most obscure. Number one, it seems like it won't work. And if it does, it looks like we're going all the way around to get to one little spot. But sometimes it's not in the destination, it's in the journey. Did you hear what I just said? See, Becky and I have covered a lot of miles together. I like country roads. I just do. I, I get tired of looking at hog wire going down concrete, clippity-cloppity expressways. I just do. I would rather stop through some little towns and see places I've never seen before. And I just always imagine, where do these people work? It's in the middle of nowhere. What do they do? Where do they go? Stop in little stores and talk to people and, and see what life's about. It's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. If you do that, it's not just about getting there and getting home. It's about the full package. Church, it's not just about today and then heaven, but it's about enjoying the Lord today. Enjoy the ride, church. Why waste this life when you could be enjoying the fullness of who you are in Christ? It'll cost you personal plans. It'll cost you preferred comfort. I like to be comfortable. I just do. And I thank God for a church that's not overbearing with things. If I've ever visited you in the hospital... Chances are I had on a pair of blue jeans or cargo shorts and a t-shirt. But that's who I am. So would you wear a suit? I don't wear a suit every day. My granddaddy's rolling over in his grave because I don't. Every time I go to the hospital and I'm dressed in a pair of tennis shoes or whatever they call them now, and, you know, I got a pair of Nikes on and some t-shirt, I think, oh, Lord, my granddaddy would kill me. He thought you were supposed to cut grass in a pair of sands of belt slacks and a short sleeve shirt. You know, you're a pastor. You ought to look like a pastor. What does a pastor look like? It was like Kevin to me. Red britches. That's what I'm talking about. What is a pastor? Listen, sometimes we get, in, we get trapped, though, in our own little world of comfort. We don't want anything to get in the way. Look at verse 6 and 7. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Sometimes it's not comfortable, but you got to do it anyway. Say, it's hard to minister to family. Tell Andrew that. He went and got his brother and said, come, for I have met the Messiah. Tell the Philippian jailer, who went home and told his wife that he was giving up everything. Going against his faith, going against his country, going against everything for a man he'd never met. But he did it because it was right. Listen, sometimes we have to get outside of our comfort zone to be everything God wants us to be. When Jesus comes to town, listen, you pray, you pray, oh God, we need revival. Oh God, help us in Claxton. Oh God, change Eastside. Then buckle up because he's going to challenge you outside your comfort zone. I've never seen the likes in my life. Now, I grew up in a very, very traditional, independent-minded Southern Baptist church. When we got there on Sunday morning, Sunday school was going to be at 10. That was written down in the King James. Worship at 11. But then when you got there, your parents took you to whatever department you were part of. The kids and you, they don't even know what a department is. They have no earthly idea what that means. They mean fire department or something. You know? No, we went to the primary department, intermediate department, you know, and what was the other one? Well, they didn't even use the word youth when I was there. It was one above intermediate. But we had assembly. We would come together. We had a mission story. 
We had a missions offering. And we were going to do this. How many of you ever done this? Praise God from whom all blessing. We're going to sing doxology every Sunday. And then bash the other ones for reading the creed. Come on, really? You like that, didn't you? We were creedal, man. We're going to sing the doxology. I still got it memorized. We were going to do that. Then we're going to break up. We're going to go to our Sunday school classes. We're going to do all that. Then we're going to come together and we're going to sing two songs, have an introduction. Does this anything sound familiar? And then we were going to sing some choir songs. Then we're going to sing this song. Then we're going to have a special. Then the preacher's going to preach. Then they're going to come down. Then we're going to have an invitation. And then we're going to have a dismissal. And then we're going to have announcements. Then the preacher's going to rehash what he just preached. And then they're going to close. But every once in a while, the Holy Spirit would blow in and completely blow the schedule out of the water. Somebody had come to the altar during the first song. What were they thinking? That's not in the bulletin. How can you, it's not the invitation. To, who told you you come to the altar? And I mean, I've literally seen people say, what are they doing? You know, it was like the disciples, hey, get away, kids, you're bothering him. Jesus like, you missed the point. Sometimes we need to get out of that comfortable, routine rut of our lives and realize God's got a plan for us and it's not always going down the same path we think we need to go down. And so they went. And they did what he told them to do. Can I tell you a dangerous prayer? But one that's very fulfilling. God, use me however you want. Or you want to simplify it? Here's your prayer. Yes, Lord. That's it. No amen. No dear heavenly father. Just yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. One of my favorite preachers in this world is Dr. Robert Smith. Expository preacher, preaching professor at Beeson Divinity School at Samford University. And he came to the evangelism conference when I was preaching there at Samford University. And that night, Sammy Gil- Dr. Sammy Gilbreth was standing there ahead of the evangelism department for the state of Alabama. And Dr. Smith walked up and I was standing there and Dr. Dr. Gilbreth looked at Dr. Smith and he said, He said, Dr. Smith, this fine pastor from Andalusia, Alabama is going to be preaching in the morning. He said, oh, my dear brother. Now, he looks like Uncle Remus. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. He's a very dark-skinned black man with a white beard. He's probably the greatest expositor of God's word living today. And I'm standing down here, you know, we're all yucking it up. Preachers can strut sitting down, you know. We're all sitting here. But I'm, I'm literally in awe standing here with Dr. Smith because I'd heard him preach and stuff. And he said, oh, my dear brother, I'm so sorry I won't be able to hear you preach. I've got a class during that time here in the morning. And I said, well, you know, being a good, good Christian preacher, I said, well, well Dr. Smith, if you'd just pray for me, that'd be an honor. I meant, you know, during class, y'all have prayer. He didn't flinch. He didn't say, let's pray. He didn't say, bow your heads. He reached up with both his hands, clamped down on my shoulder, and this is what he prayed. I'll never forget. Even now, Lord, even now, amen. What does that even mean? The intent of his heart was, oh God, have authority over this man's life. Even now, not tomorrow morning when he stands behind the pulpit, but even now, God, overwhelm him with your leadership, your power, and your glory. The greatest thing any of us could ever pray is, 
Yes, Lord, because you can't tell master no. You can't look at the Lord and tell him no, for in doing so, you offset his lordship. The only thing you can say to him as Lord, if you're going to claim Jesus as Lord and master of your life, you humble yourself and you say, yes, Lord. When Jesus comes to town, it'll cost us our pacifying pleasures. In verse 12 and 13, Jesus went into the temple, cast out all them that sold and bought. Now, I got news for you. I heard all this growing up. You know the story. They had the money changers out there. They weren't selling Christian T-shirts. They weren't having a cake auction to raise money for the youth. That's not what they were doing. They were scamming the people who were coming in to buy sacrifices. Say they traveled from... I don't know. Uh, Bethany's just over the hill. One of them old towns. They came from Nazareth. They came from a day's journey. They came from Caesarea by the sea or Caesarea Philippi. Maybe they ventured down from up above Capernaum or up on the King's Highway and they'd come down to Jerusalem. They didn't bring all this stuff with them. And so they come and they would buy their sacrifices there at the temple to bring in to make their sacrifices. What they were doing was, they were like, if you've ever been to another country and you had to exchange your money, anybody ever had to do that, go to a cambio? When we went to Hungary, we had to be fingerprinted. Listen, they they didn't, used to when I went, they wanted American dollars. They don't want American dollars anymore. I pray that's turning around. But we had to be fingerprinted in the bank in Budapest, and we had to go through all this to get our grievances, and we had to get... Hungarian money, we had to get Ukrainian money, we had to get all this stuff. Well, what they would do is their exchange rate, when they would bring money, they were overcharging them, they were gouging them, like after a storm. Y'all know what I'm talking about now, don't you? Remember when Hurricane Andrew hit and you couldn't buy a half inch piece of plywood for less than about 80 bucks? It's called gouging. And they've outlawed it. Well, that's what Jesus was upset about. And Jesus came in and flipped the tables over in their face. When Jesus comes to town, it will cost us our pacifying pleasures that we like to indulge in. We make excuses, our carnality. You're going to have to give it up when Jesus comes to town. You know those little words that only a few hear? Because that makes you more manly if you use those words. I tell you, it makes you ignorant. Young people, if you think it makes you cool to drop the F-bomb, if you think it's cool to use God's name, I want you to always remember this. My daddy didn't get out of seventh grade, but my daddy taught me this way. He told a man, I heard him tell the city manager in Powder Springs one day that used several cuss words in one sentence, And my daddy said, I thought you had an education. So I do. I graduated with a bachelor's here and a master's here. He said, well, I would have thought you could use words bigger than four letters. He didn't know what to say. I got news for you. When Jesus comes to town, those pleasurable, dirty jokes, those pleasurable, filthy things that, look, you may not post them, but you hit like or share, same thing. When you stand and laugh at a joke that makes fun of someone and belittle someone, you might as well have done it yourself. Amen? I know that's convicting. Church, when Jesus comes to town in our hearts, pacifying pleasures must be set aside because he will not be second to anything. It'll move you to action. Look with me in verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. The multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It will move you to action. First of all, it will move us to a public profession. When Jesus gets a hold of you, 
And you get a hold of Jesus, when you start loving him and seeing how much he loves you, there will be a public profession. If it's in you, you can't hide it. It's going to come out. The Bible says even a child is known by its actions. You may talk a good game in front of so-and-so, but the real you will come out. Character is who you are when nobody's watching. It's who you are in the dark. Your wife knows who you are. Your husband knows who you are. Your children, your four and five and six-year-olds know who you are. If you don't believe, go ask their Sunday school teachers because when they have prayer requests, they tell everything. (laughs) I love it. Sometimes you won't know what's going on. Go sit in a prayer meeting with beginners, six, seven-year-olds. Go to children's church and listen. They'll tell you, pray for my daddy. He's been mean. Pray for my mama. Daddy says all she ever does is gripe. I've heard all this stuff. Listen, when Jesus comes to town, they called him king. They honored him by the palm branches, the laying of the clothes, that was seeing him as king. Now, some of them didn't get it. They thought he was coming to reign as king now or then. They were all upset. That's why the Jews don't accept him even today because they said he was a fraud. If he was really king, then he would have set them free from the Roman government and established his reign. They didn't read all the Old Testament. They only read the part of Isaiah that suited them. They didn't read Isaiah 53. They read 9, 6, 7, 14. They didn't read 53, where it said that he'd be bruised for our iniquities. That he would be beaten up for our transgressions, and by his stripes we would be healed. That he would be led as a lamb into the slaughter, yet never open his mouth. When Jesus comes to town, it'll move us to a public profession. We'll want to tell somebody. You get a good deal on a car, you'll want to tell somebody. You say, look, somebody, you may not be brave, but you come in, somebody say, oh, that's a beautiful dream. You ain't going to believe what kind of deal I got on this. Man, I went, and I had Coles cash, and then it was clearance, and then I talked to the lady, and she marked it down another 20%, and I got it for nearly nothing. Man, you ain't going to believe what I paid for that lawnmower. Man, I got a deal on that thing. That's a nice truck. Oh, man, best deal I've got right there. We want to tell somebody. Well, if you've got Jesus, you've got the greatest thing ever known to man. When's the last time you told somebody? When's the last time you bragged about how great it is to be saved? And to know where you're going. There'll be a powerful change. He said in verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. When Jesus comes to town. There will be powerful change. Physical change. Mental change. Emotional change. But the greatest of them. Listen in the old days they used to say. And the drunk will get saved. And and the one who beat his wife will get saved. And that woman who run around will get saved. And that terrible teenager who is living in rebellion will get saved. That's the truth. When Jesus comes to town miracles happen. The people you thought there was no hope for, get saved. Now listen, church, if this is our idea of a big invite, we've missed the point. We've not prayed over our list. We've not sent a single card out if if this is what it's going to look like. But if we care enough and we know the Jesus who changes lives, who changed the world, who hanging on the cross, divided time and eternity, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And this place will be packed out. Just over a week ago, an American hero stood right here. A man who, along with his comrades, they made a movie out of. 
their heroic actions in Mogadishu. We packed the place out, 350 men here. And for once, I think it was more about the speaker than it was about the food, even as good as it is. But you know what? A lot of them got ambushed because they come to hear a man. But what they heard was the Jesus of the man. Now, if we would get just as excited about bringing them, not because I'm a hero, but because of the Jesus who saved your pastor, the story you're going to hear about Jesus being bigger than all our sins next Sunday, then you'll want to bring somebody if you care at all about them. If you care about our future, you'll want to bring someone to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a powerful change when it comes to town. But it'll also move you to action in prideful displeasure. It said in verse 15, when the chief priest and scribe saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased or they were very unhappy. Just to put it frank, the religious crowd didn't like it not one bit. The leadership, the religious leadership of the day had to have them a little meeting and say, what are we going to do about this man? He's not doing things the way we always done them. He's not saying things the way we've always said them. He's challenging everything. And do you realize we're going to lose our authority if we let him keep on? Do you see how many people are following him? The whole town's going after him. You know why churches split? It's because some people think they're the head. The Bible says Jesus is the head and the church is the body. You know what their real problem is? They've got their anatomy completely reversed. They're not the head. They're the tail. And they want to make sure they show it. That's why churches split. That's why people fall out. That's why marriages fail. That's why countries in such disarray and everybody, the left hates the right and the right hates the left and all the other things. I'm going to tell you all the right and left and all this side and that side will stop mattering when we come to Jesus because the ground's level at the foot of the cross. The thief, the Roman soldier, the mother, the disciple, all of them all equally needed him. Church, it's a powerful change. It's a prideful displeasure. Some some don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't like it. But what really happens when Jesus comes to town is a perfect praise. He said in verse 16, And they said unto him, Here's, here's thou what they say. And Jesus said unto them, Yeah, I, I, have, uh, I have, you, uh, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Listen, they praise Jesus. And finally, it will demand an honest answer when Jesus comes to town. Do you know what this city, Bethphage, means? City of figs. That's literally what the name means. City of figs. And so as Jesus come in, in verse 18, in the morning he returned to the city and he was hungry. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Here's the frank truth. When Jesus comes to town, there will have to be an answer. He looked around, he said, who do people say that I am? Remember that? He asked the disciples, who do, who do men say that I am? Some said, well, some say that you're Isaiah. Some say that you're Elijah. And others say you're just one of the prophets. And Jesus was just casting that question out. But then all of a sudden it narrowed down. And he looked at Peter square in the eyes. He said, but who do you say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. It's one thing to tell others. But it's another thing to look him in the face and say, you are my Lord and Savior. You're either going to be fruit bearing or fake living. There is no middle ground. You will either be fruit-bearing. And when Jesus comes hungering to see fruits, he'll find them 
or under that false facade of hypocrisy in your life. The Sunday outfits and the cordial Christianity, the casual walk. When Jesus looks under the leaves, he finds nothing there. The worst thing the Bible records is hypocrisy, fakeness. For he cursed the fig tree and it died. Listen, it all boils down to verse 2. In all things, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. When Jesus comes to town, what would be your answer? Believe and receive. Or neglect and reject. Today, you have an opportunity. Jesus has come to town. Here's here's the difference. Five days from the cross, they knew prophecy. They knew even what Jesus had said, but the Bible records right here that many of the disciples did not fully understand until after the resurrection. The church, we have had 2,000 years of history. We have had 2,000 years of eyewitness recordings and reports. And we look back and the world declares... Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Jesus has come to town this morning in Eastside. Will you believe and receive or neglect and reject? For it's not enough that you say, well, I don't have to come. No, but if he's saying come and you don't come, you are rejecting the leadership of the Spirit of God. He didn't say, hey, Today, I will make you be able to walk again, but just lay there and take it easy. He said, take up your bed and walk. He told that woman, I shall not cast a stone, but go and sin no more. God is calling us to action today. What will it be? In a moment, we're going to uncover that table. And we're going to sit at the Lord's table in remembrance of what he did for us. But the Bible's very clear. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth that we are not to take it in an unworthy manner. Christian, if you're about to partake in the Lord's Supper, make sure you're right with God. They're coming to the instruments right now. And the Spirit of God is issuing you an invitation. Come and receive the power of the Lord in your life. Can you come and say, yes, Lord? Lord, I come and figuratively lay myself before you just as they laid garments before you. I recognize you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, today I have rejected you. I have faked it. Today I want to come and profess, even as these children who are great heroes of the faith have stood before the world and said, I was lost. I need Jesus. He died for my sins. Lord, save me. Why don't you come do business with the Lord today? You see, 47 days later, Jesus left. God will not tarry with you forever. You say, well, I'll do it next week. I'll do it in a month after. You've been saying that. Listen, Jesus won't tarry with you forever. Today's your opportunity. As, they stand, as we stand and as they sing, come to Jesus today. Come. Don't wait. It may be too late. Right 
special day, and I know it's a little longer than usual, but this is Palm Sunday. We do remember what the Lord did, and the two greatest things that we remember that as believers is the two ordinances of the faith. One is believer's baptism, of which our forefathers and foremothers gave their life to defend. It's not salvation, it does not convey grace, but it lets the world know Jesus has saved us. And we have partaken in baptism this morning, but now we partake in the Lord's table. When Jesus entered that city, and one of the last things he sat at the table with his disciples, they broke bread, and he prophesied of what was coming in the next few hours. He talked about his broken body and his shed blood. And so the Bible teaches us that we are in remembrance, a threefold remembrance, partake in the Lord's table. He tells us that it's a look backward. As a believer, we look backward at what happened at Calvary. It's a look inward as we say, Lord, am I right? Am I partaking in a worthy manner? But then as the table says in remembrance of him, we look forward to his imminent return. Amen? I want to ask God's blessings over this. He broke the bread and blessed it, and I want to ask God's blessings on it. And uh, as I pray, uh, deacons, if you'll come and make your way, go ahead and shut those doors if you would. Keep this air going for just a minute. I'm going to ask them to come, and we're going to pray. And as we pray, then, and visitors, please remain with us. If you're born again, then we believe that as a body of Christ, then we can partake. But if you're not saved, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's not a shame to let it go by, but come and talk to me afterwards, and we'd be glad to let you know what it means to trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray your blessings on this table. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much you sent your Son. That 
His body was pierced. Thorns thrust upon his brow. And that every drop of blood was shed for the sins of the world. I pray God that the gravity of that would resonate in our hearts today. That we realize as these men just removed this blanket, it's symbolic as they fold it up that you're not still dead. This is not a funeral. That you took your grave clothes and folded them up and laid them down and said, won't need those anymore. We praise you today for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible's very clear about who Jesus is. And I love, if you ever want a great Bible study, just go through and look at all the references of what the Scripture calls Jesus. We've talked about Him this morning as King of kings and Lord of lords, as Savior. Do you know why He rode in on a donkey? To show them He wasn't riding in a chariot or on a great watch day, and even though He's coming back on one, because at the time He wanted the world to know He was no threat to their earthly kingdom. His kingdom was from above. But he tells us, even in John, my, my favorite scripture of the New Testament. He said, you ate of that bread in the wilderness your fathers did and are dead. Every day, except for on the Sabbath. Repetitively, they had to go out and get more bread, get more bread, get more bread. Jesus said, not with me. For I am the bread of life. And anyone that eats of me shall never hunger again. So I'm going to ask the men this morning, if they would, to come and serve as we remember what Jesus did for us, hungering, thirsting, and giving his life.